0: This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota.
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias. Uh, I am
2: happily enjoying life to its fullest. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, producer of Counter Stories and VP of Programming at Ampers.
3: And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Lacs Band of Oduble Indians and associate at Dendros Group.
0: So, today's episode, we are uh, going to be diving into mental health, in particular from the lens of BIPAC folks, BIPOC folks. And so, we have to bring in somebody who works in that field. And we are pleased to have a special guest with us. Uh, uh, I don't know if I should call you doctor or ther- uh, therapist and community of mental health professional, Sister Aisha M. Jenny. Welcome to Counter Stories.
4: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Looking forward to the conversation.
0: So, so before we dive in, if you will just give us a little bit of background about yourself,
4: including
0: the high school you graduated from, just for the audience to hear.
2: Oh come okay, on! Well, first, I mean foremost, Highland and the house, okay? Highland in the house—that's all I gotta say.
4: I think there's a bad connection. I can't really hear what someone just said, but I don't think it was important. Um, <laughs> You could probably just cut that part out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm from the the world famous St. Paul Central, uh, class of 97, one of the best years to ever do it, um, which of course everyone here is familiar. You know, everyone does know about that. Um, <laughs> and um, I uh, work as a therapist at a practice that I share with my friend Larissa at, It's called Therapies. And we also have a nonprofit called Affinity Healing Collective that we started um, last year. And we use that nonprofit to help people pay for therapy services, holistic health services. Um, we have equine therapy, which is therapy with horses and, and groups and anything that you can find that's therapeutic where uh, marginalized folks, particularly BIPOC folks, are not really able to get as- access to these resources or cannot afford them because of systemic racism. And so that's uh just a couple of things I do. I'm I'm the resident weirdo therapist here. There's probably not a therapeutic technique that I don't <laughs> do. I, I also am a nationally certified hypnotherapist as well. So yeah. And I went to FAMU for undergrad and seed Hall for grad school.
0: Um well it's it's so good to have you with us today. Um, as we kind of wade into the waters, you know, one of the things that comes up for me especially during holiday seasons or big anniversaries as a pastor is that um i find that calls and in, in need for for just time and presence and it, you know kind of increases during these times as 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 holidays can bring a whole lot of things up or or you know times where we are supposed to take a break and reconnect with family can bring a whole lot of things up and so um it's good to have you here to talk about uh, some of those things. One of the questions I want to get us started with is just, you know, as as a therapist, especially as a BIPOC therapist, I mean, many of us on the call have have experienced trying to find therapists of color who match us culturally um, in terms of gender and in, in terms of racial, racial uh, understanding. Um, and mm-hmm. that's a, a process in and of itself. And you just alluded to some systemic pieces like that. And so, you know, what are some of the things that you're seeing, particularly as we come towards the new year um, and 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 some things that we should be thinking about and considering, especially for BIPOC folks in our mental health as we get to the new year?
4: Well, as you mentioned, this is a kind of polarizing season for people. So, I mean, there is no down season for therapists. Let me just say that when um, that people are feeling good. <laughs> They want to come to therapy, and it's like new year, new me. When you know, kids are wrapping up school, and you have where people are doing IEPs for the next year, we're pretty busy over the summer, we're pretty busy. But especially when the holiday seasons start for people, um, that's when you'll start seeing people having a little bit more conflict with family, reevaluating their relationships, um, reevaluating their career, you know, it's just kind of like the end of the year thing where you're reevaluating your life over the course of the year or over the course of a couple of years. Um, we also see that these are the times where the domestic violence rates are the highest. And it's probably because of people interacting with their families and tensions um, for people who celebrate uh, the different holidays this season. Are they able to afford it? Are they able to afford to go see their families? So those kinds of issues come up. And then um, for others, there's an intense feelings of loneliness that are prevalent. And so as people are reflecting, it's cold in in Minnesota, if you're in Minnesota. We we have less sun and and it's colder. And so seasonal depression is also uh, kicking in and kind of in full swing. And so you compound all of that together and you have people really doing their best to try to navigate all of the things that are coming up for them and sometimes falling short of being their best selves or, or sometimes running into obstacles that are beyond their control. And it, it becomes very daunting. So yeah, we're really busy right now. And um, the amount of of work that we do around depression and anxiety and processing people's trauma definitely increases as well.
1: Aisha, you mentioned uh, you're a certified hypnotherapist and Can you help us understand what really goes on in hypnotherapy? Um, I think that's an area that many people might be curious about. I'll say for myself, um, I lost a a sister uh, to cancer, brain cancer, earlier this year. Um, And I did see a hypnotherapist. And for me, it was incredibly powerful. Uh, And I would not have sought it out on my own without it. but I, I want you to, from, a, from your perspective, really unpack that for us and our listeners uh, to really understand what goes on and the benefits that
4: come with that. Sure. I, I'm so sorry for your loss, first of all. I can only imagine how hard that's been for you. Um, Thank you. Hypnosis, hypnotherapy in particular, um, I like to think of it like our, our natural state is a trance state. And so you have to try hard to focus. So, if you think about your natural state being a trance state, what I mean by that is that when you're driving, you're not thinking, okay, pull forward, turn my wheel slightly, okay, watch the road. Your mind is usually somewhere else because your unconscious kicks in and remembers all of the steps of driving. So, with hypnosis, hypnosis is about bypassing the forefront of your mind. You know, your cognizant mind, the one that has all these thoughts and all these ideas and is constantly running on a ticker tape to get to your unconscious, to the part that is the feelings that we have, the silent voices, the things that kind of lead and direct what we're doing. And so when you are practicing hypnosis with someone, you get them to that state where their unconscious mind is driving the car. Their conscious mind is still present. They're like in the passenger seat. So it's not like you're in a state where you can't understand or don't know what's going on, but that conscious mind is not interrupting the work or the process or the thoughts or the feelings or the explorations that the unconscious mind wants to go into. And so with that, you're able to do in a short amount of sessions in hypnosis what it may take you in your conscious mind. Months, years, decades to do because you don't have that interruption.
0: I remember at the um, beginning of of this final push in in seminary, um, I was having a lot of anxiety, a lot of balls in the air, and things like that, and was able to um, get a couple of sessions with a, a friend of mine who who um, a coworker of mine who was a hypnotherapist and and. Shifting and thinking about those things and some of those patterns was was amazing, and I, I can't I can't tell you how how beneficial it was to be able to put some things into well, one just surface some things um, with with a couple mm-hmm. of the sessions, um, and then I was able to get a um, a, a tape or not a tape <laughs> that's a throwback to back in ninety seven when <laughs> we graduated, but like I, I was able say to get a rec- all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was a I, I was able to get a recording that. Allowed me to um, uh, to think about this 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 mantra, repeat some things to myself um, mm-hmm. that was able to really kind of put some of those things in order. You know, you, that that anxiety sneaks up on you sometimes. You don't have any mm-hmm. any way of of you you don't realize it until you you're like, oh snap! All those things I was doing um, <laughs> that didn't seem that that seemed out of pocket or or that just became natural aren't actually natural, and so it i i just want to co-sign the hypnotherapy side of things uh, uh real quick
4: i i love it and and i think it's important for people to know that i eat at the restaurant that i cook at so anything that i do with my clients i've had done to me as a client so I um I, I don't i don't practice anything i don't believe in um and so i know what it's like to sit in that seat
1: can you help us understand the breadth of different reasons by which folks should seek out uh, hypnotherapy? I think Anthony's, you know, uh, example was really, really powerful. Uh, right, something that is an ongoing kind of. Um, common, right, uh, state versus mind that was more drastic, right? So Mm -hmm. help us understand the field of type of concerns that people should seek out hypnotherapy for.
4: I think really similar um, to therapy, hypnosis can be used for a number of things. I mean, that's how you have stage hypnotists doing like really fun things where you can have people forget numbers and then remember numbers. Um, I, I like to think of hypnosis as You should seek it out if you are looking to connect something that feels very disconnected for you or to process something um, that may be very difficult for you to touch in a way that makes it easier for you to touch in the moment. It doesn't mean that you won't be emotive or that it it may not feel difficult, but the process feels uh, less intrusive and, um. I think, less uh, grueling than when you do it via talk therapy. I'm a proponent of talk <laughs> therapy, so that's not to disparage it. Um, I, I see people for hypnosis for a number of reasons. Some people want to stop smoking, and there's a three-session stop smoking protocol that has like an 88% um, rate of people not returning to smoking after those three sessions. There, People do it for weight loss. People do it for anxiety. People do it for um. IBS people will do it to process trauma, or to uh, come to grips with anxiety or depression, or to even move through uh, just blocks that they have. Like, so I, I helped someone with hypnosis who just couldn't understand why they couldn't get their paperwork done, and so we we did some hypnosis around it. Uh, the thing that I see that's that's common amongst the, the various people that I've helped with that is that when they emerge and from the hypnotic state, that they feel very differently about what they came in for. So you have a different relationship with their anxiety, a different relationship with their depression, even a different relationship with their grief. Uh, not that it's it's numbed, but you're in touch with it in a way that may not feel so immobilizing or, um, you know, where it interferes with their daily life functioning. And I think that's probably one of the, the The immense benefits. Uh, my professor who taught me hypnosis talked about how she would use it with pregnant women and, and giving birth, and it's really effective in decreasing pain. Um, also, she taught with uh, doctors and nurses at hospitals on how to use hypno- hypnosis with their clients and um, helping them navigate pain as an alternative to some of the um heavy pain meds that people would use. So it, it can be beneficial in a lot of ways. Our brain is amazing. I, I don't think we've tapped into all the ways you can use it.
0: You know, um just one of the one of the things that comes up quite a bit um and and it's something that is thankfully starting to shift. But I know from 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 my standpoint kind of growing up, one of the things that would often get happen is that people would talk or poo-poo therapy as if um, it means that there's something wrong with you, or there's some deficiency, Not rather true. than how we are, you know, coming to thankfully change and shift the language now, and that all of us <laughs> could use some type of of therapy. And it's it's always beneficial to be able to talk and process things out, um, especially for BIPOC folks, where some of us come from communities where there's huge stigma attached to therapy. What are some of the things that you tell folks, um, you know, who who may have come and grew up like I did? Where to see a therapist means that that you've got you got deep, huge issues and problems that and there's something mm-hmm. about you as a person that's deficient.
4: I'll use um, a kind of like different metaphors or analogies with people, depending on like how like whatever stigma they attach to it. So sometimes I'm like therapy is like a store. OK, you're not mad at Walmart and think that Walmart's a bad place to go because you need to get stuff, you go there to get stuff that you need. You go there to get stuff that you want. You go there to walk around a little bit. Sometimes therapy is like going to a doctor's appointment where you're getting a checkup and making sure that things are working the way they need to be working and and anything that's off, you want to you wanna get ahead of it. Uh, therapy can be like church. It can be healing. It can be spiritual. It can be... Um, restorative without words Uh, so it can be anything that you need it to be in the moment and uh, any of my clients who would be listening to this will tell you because I say the same platitudes every to every person uh, having needs does not make you needy it makes you human that part and as people of color Mm -hmm. especially you know especially as BIPOC folks we we tend to live in survival mode We can't even conceptualize thriving. And so if you're used to living in a survival mode, then you treat your down moments when you're not at your peak of arousal or or, or peak of like overwhelmed as your baseline or as thriving. And it's not. It's just the absence of this survival instinct and the absence of all the things that you have to do to, to make it. And so that's why it's hard for us to conceptualize um, what thriving looks like. We don't think about what we want. We think about our needs being met. And then even we downscale what our needs are. We think of wants as frivolous when they're not. You know, a lot of times I talk to my clients about whether or not their wants are truly wants, or if their needs masquerading as wants, their needs that you have told yourself that you can't fulfill at this moment, or Um, You don't have time to fulfill this moment uh, and you treat them as decadent when they really are needs. And so that's how I think we get to places where um, us BIPOC folks have different presentations in in what we go through. Like anxiety and depression look very different for us and they're not necessarily um, matching the way that symptoms are characterized in the media or um, even the books that we study and so that's how you can have a person who is deeply and severely depressed attending to other people you know very active in their church very active at work um always the life of the party and smiling and you're like they're not depressed maybe they're anxious they're just really busy they just do too much it's because um oftentimes we do not have the leisure of being sad and laying in our beds you know not taking care of our children, not taking mm. care of loved ones. We don't have those options. And so it will present a different way. It's still there. So it, it takes uh, mental health professionals really to to do their research. And if you know, you're not immersed in the culture, to immerse yourself in the culture and to learn and, and to study the amazing people who have written great works on this so you can see what it looks like so you're not doing your clients a disservice by, by not seeing what they're presenting with, by not seeing them as a person.
2: Oh my gosh. That was exactly what I was going through my mind today. Cause like, Mm. for me, it's been a really hard week and Mm -hmm. I met with my therapist this morning. Uh, So like, like Anthony was saying, it's really hard to find a therapist, a therapist of color. You know, I didn't find an API therapist. Um, My therapist isn't even in Minnesota. So I see see a therapist virtually. (laughs) So, yeah, so my therapist is is Ho-Chunk, and she lives in Wisconsin. And, you know, it took a long time just to find her. Um, And, you Mm -hmm. know, so now I love her. um, But we were just talking, you know, I had my appointment with her this morning and just thinking of, like, and I, I was saying this to the dogs literally before we came on, you guys was, you know, who's taking care of me? because right? mm-hmm. I've just been so busy I've been taking care of everything we did family photos my parents went out of town and my grandmother was as as folks who listen know I, I you know care for my grandmother when uh, I care for my grandmother because she only remembers me for the most part mm. uh, so that was really difficult with my parents gone and you know and then we lost a huge member of our, of our Hmong community this week to Zhang to a very s- just strange and um, yeah. <laughs> terrible um, way of losing somebody and just the impact that he had made on the Hmong community, but also just, just the, the Minnesota community as, as as a whole nationally and internationally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just feel like, I, I kind of just felt like, who's taking care of me? And I thought of that today. And I thought of my floppy puppy here in my lap of like the dogs, the dogs are caring for (laughs) me right now because I'm doing all the Christmas shopping. You know, I have to plan the gatherings for my white in-laws and my husband to get together. Like, you know, it's just, it's Mm -hmm. a lot at this time, this time of year. And it's a lot.
4: It seems like a lot because it is a lot. And we talk about like the, invisible work that people do and oftentimes especially with women of color that I work with there's an invisible work that we do that people Mm -hmm. just discount but if we stopped doing it (laughs) if you're like hey how come the holidays did it magically happen who's taking care of grandma who's reminding people of their birthdays um and and we don't think about it but it it takes a toll Uh, in my office I have Audre Lorde's quote hanging up that says Caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation, and that's an act of political warfare. And I make every single person of color who comes into my office read it, really every client that comes into my office read it, because oftentimes what we view as selfish is really caring for yourself. It's really getting you out of survival mode into thriving mode, is healthy boundaries, and because we can become so intertwined with our families and being a good daughter, son, husband, wife, child, sister, brother, or, or what have you, friend, we forget what we need, we discount what we need. And if if we're not caring for each other, if we're not noticing, if we're not pushing to make people <laughs> uh, take help and take love, um, that, then we just go without and we may not realize it until we're really, really deep in the throes of it. And and that's I, I typically see that people realize it years after it first started. Um, and so th- that's a lot of the work that that I do with people is, is around that and around um, caring for yourself. And what does it really look like to care for yourself? I'm not talking about hot bubble baths, although that can feel caring, but maybe caring for myself means saying no to someone that I love. And trusting that our relationship won't fall apart if I'm not able to do everything for everybody at every moment.
0: Listening to you, listening to you kind of, first and foremost, I love every single sayings. I need to start a quote book um, in this conversation <laughs> and just kind of record these downs and have these in front of me. And make Maybe that needs to be the next tape that I make for Montrose <laughs> for sale. <laughs> so. But, um, you know, you've, you've got me thinking about... Um, The way in which especially as folks of color um when you said earlier that our our, a lot of times our trauma our anxiety looks different you know it's not Uh lost on me that we have huge mortality issues because we are not believed when we register pain in the same way and that the medical profession Uh is trying to figure out this particular bias that is leading to to, uh, mortality in particular amongst uh, pregnant women of color but there's a quote by Resmaa Menikin, um where he says, he says, trauma in a person decontextualized over time looks like personality and trauma in a family uh-huh. decontextualized over time can look like family traits and trauma decontextualized in people over time can look like culture. And so there are these uh-huh. ways in which we will dismiss or <clears throat> overlook um, markers this whole time and then sometimes turn around and blame the very folks who are now calling for help to say why didn't you show up like this and the this looks like dominant culture white folks who show up in a particular way or or film and culture that show up in a particular way because we are decontextualized and so I'm I'm curious if there are some and I know I'm I'm trudging into dangerous territory I'm not asking you to to try to characterize everybody in a community or anything like that but are there some specific um some specific things where we will look we will go around and we will look and treat something as if it's just every day. You 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 mentioned, you know, the person who's the life of the party, right? Um, but but may actually be going through things around, you know. What I'm, um what are some things in ourselves that we can often look at and go and and maybe need to stop and go, I wonder if there is something that I'm not maybe i'm decontextualizing something assigned for my own self. uh one one example i'll start since i'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> one example that i that, <laughs> that i came about um, is it 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 used to be that i would feel the pressure of a deadline and that would ju- that would spark something in my brain to like really get creative. um and i would tell myself that until working with my therapist over time they're like so so can you only produce can I would say things like this I would literally I would say things like this I only get good grades on papers that I write in the last 24 hours or the last uh-huh. 36 hours and without that pressure when I've tried to take time and preparation and all of that I've gotten it's been all right right and and it took somebody outside of me going okay so you're characterizing that as needing the pressure What if we went into the other direction and said, what can we make about the practice of prior preparation for you to make your outcomes better? Like, can we have that conversation? And I had written into my brain that the pressure is required, which makes Uh you stay up all night, not get sleep, all these unhealthy outcomes versus what is it about the preparation that doesn't get me into the thinking that I do when there's pressure? Like, I didn't even think that was possible. Right. So that was somebody like relating and recounting to me. Like there's another uh, uh, way way of of thinking about that, right? And procrastination can be, you know, con- chronic com- uh, procrastination can be a sign that something else is happening. Are there other things that folks can generally be thinking about that we that could be markers for us to do something different that you've encountered and seen?
4: Oh, for sure. Um, if I'm going to do a blanket generalization, I would just say that BIPOC folks are superhumanly good at working in the midst of trauma and tragedy. So Damn. this is a skill that we, <laughs> yeah, we, oh. this is oh. a skill that we had to hone, you know, um, oh my God. we did not want to learn the skill. We did not want to be resilient. We did not want to be, you know, to have to adapt and to move through the greatest pains that the world has ever faced. But because we had, so many centuries of experience with it, we have gotten good at it. That wow. is why you are able to say I am re- I work my best under the deadline. No, what you do is you work abnormally well under a deadline more so than what other people are able to do because you are used to doing that. You work better when you have time and thought and, and you can give it the care that it needs. But when do we ever have time to think and give things the care that it needs. There's always something that we're using that's pressed up against a deadline or press up against a trauma, press up against a tragedy, press up against some kind of action where we had to educate for ourselves or for other groups of people. We never get rest. So how we know how well we do with rest if we never get it.
0: Wow. You just (laughs) blew my mind with that one. I'm sorry. (laughs) You got all in in my business on that one.
2: I mean, (laughs) it's... It's insanely true, though, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm able to work 10 hours a day doing everything and, you know, deal with everything else. And sometimes I, 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 I say working t- keeps my mind off those things, but I don't know if they really do. Mm-hmm. If they, You know, I don't know. Maybe that's my excuse for it. For, well, it does in
4: some sense. It takes working your job. And getting into the flow of that takes your mind off of the work that you have to do in your personal life. So it is a break from the personal life work, just like the personal life work is a break from the work work. Um, Like we said, we're insanely good at it. And because we were insanely good at it, because it was brought through trauma and we didn't have a choice, it was survive or, or not, now these become things that are seen as virtues of our collective cultures. Oh, you guys really come together and you really love each other. You really know how to endure you really know how to be resilient and it's like yeah well this is a superpower that i never wanted to have this is a you know a, a skill that i never really wanted to learn or not to perfect at this level and i keep not having a choice but mm-hmm. to perfect it and so all of the you know the beautiful things that people say about our <laughs> culture is like oh you're survivors <laughs> oh you know i i i uh, always go against the the black woman being um powerhouses and queen tropes because i was like i don't want to be a queen that's too much responsibility i don't want to rule anybody i don't want to take on all the woes of everybody else i want to be a princess i want to lay around and be catered to why am i never (laughs) thought of that way and um it's because people see value in these skills that we've crafted in our own survival and endurance and they don't want it to go away and so you know if you get enough um validation in it, it becomes a point of pride for you too. And so, it it, you know, it contributes to that cycle. I often tell my clients that um, your superpower is also your kryptonite. So if you are a thoughtful person, then your kryptonite is overthinking. Um, If you are a person that is very giving, then your kryptonite is being walked over and used. And it's finding the balance. You don't stop giving, but you stop pouring your gifts into places that aren't fruitful, that aren't replenishing you as well. You do not stop being thoughtful, but you do not overthink or allow yourself to get trapped into thinking for other people and taking on their labor as your own. So it, it's it's finding that balance and and realizing that you are more than what you can produce. You are more than what you can do for other people. You are more than just someone who is resilient and in finding those attributes about yourself that you can love, those attributes that other people can love about you that are not tied to perf- performance or productivity.
0: Don, I saw you smiling as hard as I was. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> Why? Well, I, I mean, it's like it's like I'm getting ready to write a check to pay, you know, to pay for this session. But, uh, yes. you know, it, it's funny because, yes. you know, I'm retired. And so I don't have the pressure of work um so for me it, it but yet uh, things that she is saying is is hitting home, right you know mm-hmm. now I never thought of myself as a thoughtful person, but I overthink. I know I overthink all right I mean mm-hmm. it's just and but part of that then is you know with the thoughts that I have all day long, sometimes I I consciously am trying to change what those thoughts are and um Uh but I think part of I think part of what I'm been going through and I've mentioned it here on Counter Stories I've mentioned it for the past three four years since COVID hit um and that you know was perfectly timed almost with my retirement and then with the um and then with my knees um getting so bad that i no longer can do the two things that i looked forward to to do during my retirement Uh well two things that i wanted to do more of let me put it like that because there are many things i wanted to do i want to travel do this that and the other but golf and fish and those are two things that are extremely hard for me to do now because of my knees just like my dad exactly I mean you know because I when I last was playing with your dad he was going through the same thing my knees have been bad but they weren't at that point yet and so mm-hmm. for me I've been going through this kind of drawn out grief process because I'm mm-hmm. not able to enjoy my retirement the way that I thought I would I, I, I wanted to. And, you know, um, um, a month ago, a month and a half ago, I actually sold my boat. You know, so that oh, that was a big thing. That was a really big thing for me to do was to sell that boat. And, um, but, so there's this, and then the other thing for me is <laughs> I sit here and I've been sober now 33 years. Congratulations. So, oh, thank you very much. And I kid you not, there are there are programs that I watch on TV, movies or whatever, and things happen, interactions happen between individuals in that show or movie, and I feel these emotions welling up inside of me that all, that bring tears to my eyes. And so I've been trying to talk to my maid about that uh, to help her or to have her help me identify what those emotions are. Because I stunted that for so long with my alcohol and drug use. Um, Uh And I started at such a young age that I never really, I I mean, I have a hard time identifying other than anger. (laughs) I always could identify anger um, or flight or in fight. I mean, you know, those were, those were the things that I identified with most, but now I'm having all these other feelings and I'm, I, I can't tell you what they are. I know what I, I, you know, it, i get this welling inside of me it brings this this feeling sometimes i think it's happiness sometimes i think it's but i'm really not quite sure <laughs> and so wow. so for me it's trying to learn how to identify some of these emotions that i'm very unfamiliar with and then uh, but allow mm-hmm. them to cuz i'm feeling things now that i haven't felt my entire life and it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a it's it's uh and I don't always know what to do with that. So I'm not trying to turn this into a therapy session, but just listening to these <laughs> discussions no. because she, you know, she was just pointing out all these things because I worked very well under uh um uh procrastinating, waiting mm. until mm-hmm. that last twenty four hours, and then I would get all this stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um You know, so I can I clearly identify with what you were talking about, Anthony. I think you know many Uh of us operate like that. And one of the things that happens in that, and I'm I'm
0: just 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 keeping the conversation flowing because Don, you (laughs) this this is the kind of thing that we don't talk about. And I think one of the things Uh that Aisha is bringing forward in this is that we now have can have a language for things that we shut up behind us or that were that may have been attended to. In in places where we were allowed to to practice our cultural spaces, that that are not. I mean, you'd say it ad nauseum, right? You you for for native folks in the in the United States, you aren't allowed to practice legally your religious. Practices and and things like that. I you you made mention of like some things feel like church, right? Well, what about what mm-hmm. if you have been outlawed from even practicing those things that we know are therapeutic and know are places where we process those types of things? For Native folks, you were outlawed until what nineteen seventy three seventy four in the United 70, States.
3: Yeah, seventy five. So so seventy five. And that in the comments, we're identifying the fact that we've been operating under. Trauma and whatnot for so long. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things that that's that can be pervasive in Indigenous communities is uh, shaming. I'm part of that generation that whose mother was sent to boarding school, um. who who did not learn a lot of the. I guess, caring and loving ways of being raised in family because she spent a lot of time in that boarding school. And so so that and then I have my father was black. And so he was denied all kinds of things being a black man during World War II and subsequent years thereafter. And so, you know, I think the the end result is that sometimes we grow up where we do have a mother and father but it doesn't necessarily mean that we've been able to experience um love or you know things mm-hmm. like like that in a way that we may see other families or other folks you know what i'm trying to get at and so
4: yeah
3: um and it and then it becomes generational unless mm-hmm. Unless a generation can break that, right? So, and I would
4: say because we, we use that word break, um, I, I would reframe it to like, unless that generation can unlock it. Mm. Because although it may not have been a showing of love in a way that was connected to emotions, every time I, you know, bake bread for you, and I take that time and that energy and those hours to bake that bread, I'm pouring all the love that I can't say into this bread for you. Uh, I want you to think of your feelings as notifications. You don't always have to understand where the notification comes from or or what it means, but you just receive it. Receive the notification. Some of the tears, some of the grief some of the heaviness that you feel is you mourning for people that you loved who couldn't do that for themselves. Mm. We carry these weights of a generations of the people that we saw growing up, of, of society that, yeah, sometimes we, we weep. Sometimes we feel heaviness. It's because we are used to feeling and being in touch with the world, the earth, everyone there in it, and it's overwhelming, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, physically speaking mental health speaking in all the ways. This is why we're not good at retirement. <laughs> bye. Fuck, <laughs> bye fuck, fuck. We're terrible.
0: I need we're to record this and play it. this for a couple of folks in my family who will not sat <laughs> yeah. <they> behind down.
4: Because <laughs> we don't, like we have, we've been imagining it for like 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But you don't know how to do that. I don't know how to relax. I can't, mm-hmm. it doesn't just, Click (laughs) And, you know, come into like, okay I stopped my job today and now relaxation comes. If you are not practicing it throughout your life, you will be terrible at it. That's why, you know, so many retired folks end up joining clubs and, you know, being a part of organizations, being heads of organizations (laughs) because they don't know how to sit down because they never allowed themselves that space to. Sister, S- 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 so-
0: you 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 keep getting all up in my business. Okay, so so we went through this as at a t- so we we got together and thanks to one of our family members who who were in that retirement space, one of the pe- many people who we can't figure out how to get to sat out. But one of the mm-hmm. ideas that 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 came up was that we all kind of came together to get a piece of family land. Right, we have finally joined the minnesota kind of midwest ethos, right? there's a cabin mm-hmm. in the family that we can go to, right? the the, uh-huh. the <laughs> what you got me laughing at though is is one of the things that um uh, i had to rely on white friends to show me how to utilize this new asset or tool cuz we got into this thing and all we did was work like I know a cabin is mm-hmm. work, generally, yes. But like there were people who there were neighbors who had to come over and and they were, you know, it was funny, they were trying to be so polite, because you know, we 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 I, I believe in Midwest politeness. It's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it has its drawbacks, but it's a thing, right? That we got to contend with. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to tell us like, like they would it was almost like they were trying to interrupt us with like food and like invitations to things, because they could yes. see that we had no clue. How to freaking relax into a thing, <laughs> and 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 it's, and it's things that we hadn't learned about, and 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 there are some some folks that that I've had to that have had to like pull me aside and say, yo, so now that you have some resource or some time or some energy or at least some autonomy, right? You have some agency mm-hmm. in work like here's how you use that (laughs) like like i would be i would sit be counting pennies towards something be like oh i don't know if i could i could do that for seven dollars cheaper i could do this thing over here and i look up and everybody's quiet looking at me like for real like like i will i will give you seven dollars to have the thing you know works than to take a chance like (laughs) there are some of us who still fly spirit and frontier airlines Cause we're looking at yes. the dollar sign on the front end. Cause that's how mm-hmm. we've been wired to do. Cause mm-hmm. we ain't never been able yeah. to afford nothing. And if you would have just spent the money, they're about to charge you for your bags, both ways and all the other things, mm-hmm. you could have just gotten something that, you know, works <laughs> like you just, it, here's, it, it, here's it's what I also know up.
4: about us. If, if whatever you direct towards yourself, if someone were to ask you to direct it towards someone else, you would have a completely different stance. Like if you're trying to think about getting something for your mom versus get something for you, you be like oh i'm going to pay this extra for it but when it comes to <laughs> you and how we view ourselves yeah we we are like well you know it has to be the cheapest and i don't need comfort and um i, I don't need wow. flair and actually i could do with that i don't want it, i don't need a steak but with someone else like no you need a steak you need this so we are and that's what we do for the world which is why systemic racism works so well we're doing all these things we're keeping the world running they don't want us to go You know what? This is too much. I have boundaries. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to participate. See,
3: you... Wait, 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 wait. So, see, I mean, she just keeps upsetting my world. So, you know, yesterday I woke up. I don't know. I woke up with this thought in my mind. Hey, I still remember when I paid $11.99 for a pair of Converse and I had a heart attack. Now, this is way before you were born. But I'm just saying, you know. Then my thought, my next thought was, well, I remember my mom taking me to Atlantic City in North Minneapolis, right? And and uh, mm-hmm. they used to have tables with tennis shoes for two dollars and ninety nine cents. Now, who wakes up having those kind of thoughts? So you know, there's this A thoughtful commercial- person. There's this. (laughs) Oh, Oh, I'm so glad you said it. (laughs) There's there's these commercials running about about folks turning into their parents, and there's one Mm -hmm. where they're standing at the salad counter, and I clearly identify with that guy at the end where the cashier (laughs) rings up his salad and says, Oh, this is $19.69. And his response is, No, 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 no. I'm just paying for mine. You know, right. that is me. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm. It's You know, you live long enough to see you become your parent. I'm, I'm like that with my daughter. I'm just like, no, I remember when when I could get a big bag of chips for 25 cents. And 25 I can't believe this. <laughs> no, no, no. I was like, I used to go down to. There
3: used to be a nickel. so
4: Right, for you. Either for way, me, it was 25
3: cents. <laughs> Either way, right? the bag and... is <laughs> So Back in the day.
4: So we have all these things and, and you know, our labor, our um, intellectual property, our, our love, our kindness, our resiliency keeps this world running. It's just like when you are exerting boundaries with someone, you not having boundaries benefits them. And so they will push up against it. But what we also know through time is the people who pushed up against your boundaries in the beginning, when you hold firm to your boundaries will engage in revisionist history where they'll then write themselves as a hero in your story and, like, yeah, I always told them they needed boundaries. And so that's what we see collectively is people of color in this nation. You know, I mean, really in any nation where we've done so much and we've struggled and we've fought, and then eventually people will rewrite themselves in that history very differently. They weren't oppressing or opposing. They were allying all of a sudden. And so that's why I say, continue with your boundaries. Your boundaries are for you. Your needs are your needs. Keep moving through them because the people who are giving you the most flack about them are giving you that flack because you not having them benefits them. And later on, they're going to change their mind about what they were anyway. So do this for you. Do this for your children. Do this for your elders. I love that.
1: Aisha. I'm going to take you a different path. Because this is a statistic Mm -hmm. that is is pretty alarming and one that I read uh, in the last month or so. The Center for Disease Control, which, you know, CDC, had published Mm -hmm. uh, these alarming rates that Black youth ages 5 to 12, so under 13, are twice Mm -hmm. as more likely to die by suicide than their white counterparts. And I can't mm-hmm. help but to make sure that we touch on that before, yes. you know, we conclude this, this conversation because it speaks to what, you know, Anthony had said earlier about cultural uh, norms and and us, you know, being indoctrinated that, that we can't seek out help. Can you speak mm-hmm. to that and, and how us as parents, you know, can... And relatives, quite honestly, not unique to just parents, you know, because we, you Mm -hmm. know, we are aunties, we are uncles, you know, we are, um, as collectivists, so tuned in to our our families beyond a nuclear family that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. the dominant culture then perceives, help us understand what the signs are, why this is, if you have any insights, you know, what is driving this, but also uh, how we can support
4: our families uh, during this uh, this crisis. For sure, this feeds into what we were talking about before: how we've gotten really great at um, enduring and minimizing our own pain. And so it's you know never in a bubble. We do that with our children as well. We will think about all the things that we navigated throughout our childhoods into our adulthoods, and how in the context of our adulthood, those childhood things may not matter as much. And so we minimize their experiences when they're talking about how they're feeling sad or they're depressed or they're tired. You know, Often they're met with, no, you're not. You don't work enough to be tired. You're not old enough to be depressed. You're not depressed. You'll get over it. These things don't matter. And when you minimize someone's pain that they're feeling acutely enough, they stop telling you about it. They stop telling anyone about it. And that's how you can get you know, these kinds of statistics where people are swallowing their own pain and thinking that that only way out is not being here. What most people want when they're contemplating suicide is they want an end to the pain and the frustration or the heaviness of what they're feeling. They don't necessarily want to end their life, but that's the only way they think they can think of to end it. So as People who are interacting with these youth, whether it be in a parental or our family, our community role, is to not minimize their pain. You meet them where their pain is. If something is devastating to them, you accept it as devastating and you speak to that. You give them permission to grieve. You give them permission to feel what they're feeling. You offer them help and you present help over and over again, whether or not they say no. You are present. You are listening not to respond, but to hear and to understand and giving that feedback, providing a safe space where they can be sad and that you normalize sadness. You speak to your own experience of sadness and that you navigated it through these supports and and just really listening to them. Um, I think is is really key. Most of the youth that I work with don't feel heard; They feel minimized by their families. Um, they are taught to labor very early and to hide things very early, and so they don't think that they can talk about it so and that's that's even beyond the stigma of like mental health if If I'm having um a mental health crisis or if I have a mental health diagnosis that is unpopular or seen as crazy in my family, then I'm gonna be othered, and so what do I do? You know I, I pretend like I don't have it. What do our families do? Um, when people have significant mental health uh, illnesses or dysregulations, we we write it off. We, we give it different names. We minimize it. We hide that person. Um, we try to find other things to give to them, like, okay, well, I can't give you love. Or I can't give you understanding at this, but I'll give you some food. And we try to love them in a different way, but not really love them in the way that they need to be loved or care for them in the way that they need to be cared for. And I say this to say, like, we have real reasons to distrust these systems. We have very valid reasons. We are not treated kindly. We're not regarded highly in these systems. And and so if we can shift some of our endurance to enduring this and and working with these systems and not tiring out to get our help and to advocate for the help that we need and being, being loud about it, then we get more access. And, you know, go on to the places where you're celebrated and not tolerated. I think can help with that. But yeah, it's it's, it's us seeing um the youth as people, not just little extensions of us or not people who've who've only been in this world for a small amount of time. So they have no knowledge. They have a lot of knowledge. They're dealing with a lot of hardships that we haven't had to deal with because they're also dealing with the the remnants of the hardships that we dealt with and carrying our pain in ways that we can't see. And so giving them the credit for that and giving them the love and, you know, getting them into therapy. Therapy, again, is not for people who are just so crazy they can't go anywhere else. They're for people who need places where they can talk unfiltered. They're for people, you know, who want to be heard and want to learn about themselves and want to grow. It doesn't have to be a, a, a huge thing. It's, you know, it's a store where I can go get tools so I can build my tool shed so I can fix the things in my life and my house that I need. And I can, I can get those tools to so other people who need them
0: that part. Well, Sister Aisha, this has been so powerful and I and I and I'm glad to 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 I'm I'm glad you brought that forward. Thanks for the question, Luz, and your uh, response, uh, sister Aisha. I think the um especially when it comes to our youth, I want to add to that list that you gave them about about the power that they have. They also have a uh, lens that we no longer have. We yes. are not youth anymore. <laughs> and it's so they get more? to see things in the way that we don't get to see. And so we need that perspective too. Uh, I thank yes. you for for being in a space to give us a, a little moment of permission. I thank you for, uh, and I feel like we're going to need to get you a check. I, I'll, I'll give my check in form of taking you and your professional <laughs> best friend out to eat at the restaurant of your choice. I yeah. love like that. I'll cover our bill, y'all. I got this one. This is group therapy. Thank
4: you for the group therapy session. <laughs> and, and you know what? The, uh, go ahead. The best way to honor me if you think this was was helpful uh, is the assignment that I give to all of my clients. I want you to do at least one thing this week that only you can benefit from. I call it a self-focused exercise. So it can't be like I got crab legs for my family because somebody else benefited from it. It has to be something that can only benefit you, that's only mm-hmm. for you and only for your happiness. Not to, you know, self-help me into a better life, but something that just brings you joy or comfort. And that's how you can honor me and, and that you can take these steps so, you, so you're ready to retire when you can. <laughs> you can learn how to do things and you can pour it to yourself. <laughs> it's beautiful.
0: I am so thankful for you to join joining us. Um, and I have to do this just because if we're going to be honest about what's coming up for us, let's go ahead and be honest about it. We lost somebody huge in our community. I remember being at Ben Mays and being a kid in the little courtyard with the carpeted space and having a Hmong brother in Hmong dress come forward and have me chanting, go Hmong boy, go Hmong boy, go, as he taught us how to say his name. And then he paused and let all the kids of color off the hook while he said, now kids of color, I know you already know how to say it. You've been saying it right. And then turned to the white kids and say, okay, now white kids, here's how you do it. And it was the first time I saw myself as an asset. I can honestly say, that brother Thu Zhezong is the reason, is one of the many people who told me it was, who who made me believe it was possible to be a storyteller, to understand that storytelling is not only uh, keeping of the culture, but it's also a way for you to be able to be. It was after seeing Thu Zong, um, uh, uh do that storytelling that I got involved in storytelling with the Arts Us organization and many others. I can honestly say he's part of my origin story to even becoming a pastor in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, to have somebody in our community, and that's just me, and I'm not in the Hmong community. And so well, I wanna make sure that we don't let this time go without honoring somebody who's been so much a part of all of our lives, um, who has died in such a, a tragic and strange way um, that all of us are left feeling a whole lot of different things, and we're gonna be pouring out all those feelings and telling those stories. Um, but as the family and the community prepare to, to deal with his soul in the way that is culturally appropriate for that community. Uh, let us just take mm-hmm. a moment to say, we have, we have loved you and we keep on loving you and thank you for what you've given to us, brother thu Go Hmong boy, go. Um, as Whoa. we send you off and, uh, to be and connect with the ancestors.
2: Thank you so much for that, Anthony. Thank you so much. That, that was beautiful. Yeah. And I have not been able to put words together. So, Thank you for that.
0: Oh, I'll take that breath and let them tears flow because those tears are medicine as our indigenous brothers and sisters tell us. This has been an episode of Counter Stories as we close out our year. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, partner at the Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota.
1: I'm Luz Maria Frias, Uh, took an early retirement and uh, like Aisha has has so wisely said, uh, figuring it out. Uh, and enjoy life and living life in the moment.
3: And I'm Don Eubanks, member of the Mille Band of Ojibwe Indians and associate at Dendro's Group.
2: And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming at Ampers and Counter Stories producer.
0: And our special guest
4: Aisha Janey, Therapies, Counseling Services, and Affinity Healing Collective nonprofit
0: take care of yourself. It's not self-indulgence. It's self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Audrey Lord. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.